Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Owen O'Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Marty Ryan, a.k.a. Anna's Anchor, a Limerick band who've just released their second album, Everybody's Welcome, on Failure by Design Records. When I say just released, it came out on September 14th and I talked to Marty on September 15th. So I didn't actually ask if he went out and celebrated uh, the previous night, but I presume he did. It's quite a big deal when you've just released a new album and what an album it is as well. They're kind of a pop punk band. I get. I hope he doesn't mind me uh, describing them thusly. We didn't quite discuss it, but it's really, really good. Uh, it was recorded in Dragumna Beach in County Cork and it touches on some pretty heady subjects, a little bit of which we get into uh, towards the end of about a 45 minute uh, discussion, which you're going to hear in a minute. Uh, it kind of deals with environmentalism, the family and lots of other things. He says that he had 15 subject matters that he needed to get off his plate. So I guess you can listen to the album and uh, try and tick them off as you're going along. Um, it was it's yeah, they're a really, really interesting band. I first came across them uh, when I was on Inishmore. A couple of years ago and I saw that uh, Anna's Anchor was going to be doing a show there the following uh, week, I think it was. We discussed that as well in the podcast. So I'm not going to, you're not going to get a double subject matter off me today. Anna's Anchor, once you listen to the album, it's out on all of all of the streaming services. It's out on Spotify, Bandcamp, etc, etc. You can uh, go see them live where it seems like that's kind of where they made their home as marty will explain in the podcast i'm really building it up now you're getting excited i, I can i can tell he's going to be at clonakilty international guitar festival next weekend september 21st and 22nd before he hits belfast's McHugh's basement on september 27 the underground in dublin on september 28 and casba social club in limerick on September 28th as well, it says on the website, well, in, or on the press release, well, 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 let's get to the bottom of this. I should have probably double-checked this before I started recording, but look, I mean, we're here now. It's September 29th, as you might have guessed. He's playing with Chewing on Tinfoil, and it's presented by Show to Shows in Limerick on September 29th in the Casbah Social Club. That is going to be a great show because it sounds like Marty is a real power force in a really rejuvenated Limerick scene. So I think everybody is going to be out in force at that show and it might well be one of the shows of the year if you're able to get along. And then he's heading off to Europe. He's playing Belgium, Germany, Austria over the end of October. So it's really... Uh, great period upcoming for Anna's, Anna's, Anna's Anchor Anna's Anchor so maybe get on board now so here's Marty Ryan talking about the album coming out Um, so we'll get straight into it so like your new album Everybody's Welcome came out yesterday uh, as we're talking uh, how do you feel you pleased with how it's turned out you excited to have it out in the world yeah great um, the response yesterday like it's, it's only been out um a day now and the response was definitely better than i had expected um so I'm, I'm naturally a bit of a pessimist and um like a, a couple of reviews came in and they were slightly mixed and that kind of maybe shook me a little bit but uh then throughout the day my phone was just going crazy um and in terms of like streams and everything it's by far the most you've ever gotten in one day. So 
I genuinely was blown away. I know that's like a common answer that, that bands give. Like, oh, I was blown away by the response. But I'm usually the first person to say, like, no, that wasn't quite as I expected. But this genuinely did blow me away, which is great. It's nice to be in this position saying that. Yeah. Uh, so what kind of a response are you expecting? Um, I don't know. Well, like we're a small independent band on a small independent label. So um, literally was just, I don't know, expecting kind of our, our usual followers to hopefully enjoy us, but just kind of getting messages from lots of different names and faces I've never seen or heard from before. Um, I suppose uh, I, I I still feel weird using the term fans because at this stage, fans of the band generally do become close enough personal friends and they do maintain a very close relationship with the people that um, support the music. And, you know, I would send out um, pretty much all the merch orders. So anyone that has bought anything from Anazanker, well, I've all, I've always sent them a handwritten note thanking them, and then if they ever come to a show, I I always make a point of going over and saying hello, trying to get to know them. So I suppose you, you get to kind of almost know your fan base personally. And then just yesterday, I was just like, whoa, like who are all these people? I didn't know they were out there and were, were followers of the music. Uh, and you're one of these people who reads reviews as well. Did you wrestle with that at the start? Like, were you thinking like, oh, I don't know if I should actually open this link and read what this person is saying about the album? It's, a t- it's I'd say it's a tough thing to actually like uh, to actually decide to do. It is. It's a funny one, and people do always say like, don't don't bother reading them or don't pay any attention. And I I have always read them out of curiosity. And um, for the first album, um, I would have read them all and. Um, like to be fair, in general, reviews are nearly always kind of complimentary. It's rare that you get the, the kind of ones that are are quite harsh, although they are out there. And for the first album, um, I did read them all, and there was some some negative bits here and there, but it didn't phase me at all. I didn't care one bit. Um, but this time around, I don't know if it's a measure that I care about the album more. Um, but I was kind of taking it almost quite personally, like there was. There's only been one bad review, but I was like, oh, it bummed me out for the rest of the day, uh, which definitely isn't some, something you should kind of uh, get on your thin skin because it's just one person's opinion and it's just their take on it. But um, yeah, for whatever reason, last last album, someone could have said it was the worst thing in the world and it wouldn't <laughs> have entered my mind whatsoever. And now the like slices ting, and I'm like, oh, oh god, everyone's gonna hate it. Did like when you were reading the reviews for the first album, did you take anything on board, kind of like as uh, um, what's it called, critical criticism sort of thing? Did, were you like, oh, that's actually quite a good point. Maybe I should like change this up slightly or something, or is that just like that's not how it works? Yeah, no, not one bit. Uh, I would be a very big believer of not taking anyone else's opinion on board in terms of create creatively how you should or shouldn't do something. Um, oh yeah. Cause once you start thinking of what people might or mightn't like, then you're kind of compromising the, this kind of this, this dream that's in the back of your head. And this whole time you're trying to realize 
what you think is going to be cool in the back of your head. But if you have thoughts in your mind of, oh, well, people like this song, so if you did it, everything this way again, then they'll like it even more. I think that's when, um, that's when the music starts actually becoming bad and you're really compromising what you're doing it for. So, I mean, it, it's no harm to, to gauge people's opinions, but I would be a firm believer that you really shouldn't let it impact what you want to do because at the end of the day, it is amazing that other people care and that other people will want to write about it. But the only reason that I am writing these songs is for myself. So above and above everything, you know, it has to satisfy my own kind of creative endeavor and letting other people's opinions infiltrate that, I think, is very much to its detriment. So so let's talk about how Anna Zanker started. Like, when did you start making music? Um, so I would have started, I've, I've been in bands since I was kind of like, like 14, 15, and I felt properly gigging when I was 15 and 16 in my first kind of little uh, crappy band that was in school. And we used to, we, we played, like looking back, we, we played around the country a little bit. I don't know how my parents let me, go away um, during those years also like for more for a night and play down in Philly and stuff um, so I suppose that's where I kind of uh, cut my teeth a little bit and then that band was further developed while I was in college I didn't really start taking music in any way seriously until um, I joined this band called Going 90 which was kind of my early college years um, so, I mean, I would have been kind of 20, 2021, 20, and we were we were only around for about two and a half years, but um, we did kind of make a, a proper go at it. We released a couple of EPs and did a couple of tours of Ireland, and um, that was kind of where I really kind of realized, like, okay, this is how a band actually operates, and this is how you should do things, and when all the previous bands when I was younger were all great crack, we never really had a proper release. Um, for whatever reason, the penny kind of didn't drop. That that was something we could do and something that would be really fulfilling. Um, so I suppose the the band going ninety finishing was kind of a integral part of Anna's anchor starting because um, the band kind of started to slow down and. The other guys went away kind of interrailing for summer and at the time I really just wanted to push the band as much as possible because I just loved it so much and with the kind of free summer left to my own devices um, I did go away to America on the J1 but while I was there I booked some studio time just just before I left Ireland for my last week there on the visa so I was kind of like right I'm going to go away for the summer and enjoy myself but I have this deadline at the end of it. I'm going to have to write a couple of songs over the summer and then I'll record them and then I'll come home. And I didn't really have too much of a plan in place. I just knew that I, I wanted to write songs on my own and this was a kind of an opportunity to do so. And then when we came back after summer, when we came back to Ireland, um, basically the, the band had finished, but I didn't want to do it anymore. And I was kind of like, right, well, I have this EP ready to go here. Um, if I just release that then and do this, do my own thing, then there's nothing holding me back really other than myself. 
And I suppose I should point out as well, I should say that um, that first EP, it did kind of have full band elements, even though it was just myself. So it had drums, bass, and multi-track guitars and everything. So it kind of sounded like a band on the recordings because I was just recording for myself just for the fun of it. I wasn't really thinking of live or anything. Um, so then by the time when I came home, I was like, okay, well, I could actually book a tour myself here and just play the songs just acoustically and have the recording, the separate thing where it sounds like a full band, but then I could tour as much as, much as I wanted, really, because, again, it's only myself because it, you don't have other people's schedules or commitments to dance around. It's way cheaper. And that kind of was the inception of Adam's Anchor, if you will. And that was about close enough to four years now. It's about three and a half to four years ago. Wow, that sounds like a really natural kind of uh, learning curve from being in the bands and just kind of like like deciding to book the studio time in America as well for the end of the J1. I presume like the J1 was amazing, was it? Yeah, it was. It was in Montana, which is where um, my, my girlfriend is from originally. So basically went back with her for the summer. So it was very different to your typical J1 and almost nothing like a, a usual J1. So I was just... Uh, just out, well, to me, out in the middle of nowhere, someone who's from the city is out in the middle of nowhere in Montana, and the studio itself was gas. It was about, about seven miles outside of the town. The town's remote enough, and then the studio was out in the woods, and uh, it was just a gas place. And the actual, the very last session I had there was literally on my last night before I flew back to Ireland. and since it being my last night in the country, I had to get it finished that night. Um, so I stayed with the guy in the studio until about three in the morning and then cycled home in the pitch black and literally couldn't even see the road. And as I was getting closer to the town, there was this like thunderstorm happening the other side of the town. There was lightning bolts, you know, every kind of like 20 seconds. And that was the only way I could see where I was going was when these lightning <laughs> bolts would come down. And then I was telling my buddy that worked in the gas station that I worked in the following day. And it was like, it was kind of crazy. It was cycling back from there at like four in the morning last night. And he was like, I can't believe you did that. That was so dangerous. That area is full of mountain lions. And you're very lucky to be standing here. It's kind of funny being from Ireland. You don't really, nothing, most, most things aren't really like a, have a fatal harm to you. You don't really consider that there are other really dangerous things out there in the world when you go to other countries. Uh, so it was crazy. And yeah, I suppose looking back, it is kind of mad that I went for it because, um, well, I had written and sang in bands when I was younger. I hadn't sang in a band in probably six or seven years. So to kind of give myself such a narrow deadline to go back to that um, was maybe a little bit ambitious, but I think um, it, it definitely did me good in terms of, right, this is a pocket of time I have. Let's just have fun with it and do it. So so what were you doing in uh, Going 90? Was it just playing guitar? Yeah, I was just playing, just playing guitar, um, just lead guitar, um, which I suppose was, it was fun because it kind of free. I wasn't writing the song, really, so um, it kind of, freed me up to really work on the business side of things, um, which is probably what I learned from that band the most. 
Um, so I suppose I had been writing songs for so long and then kind of parked this for a while to a certain extent while I was in going 90. But that gave me the opportunity to learn how to book gigs, how to order merch, uh, how to get press, everything and anything on the business side, which is such an important aspect of it to just try and get yourself off the ground from the get-go. Yeah, and and so like was the first Anna's Anchor gig like you front and centre singing the songs and playing guitar yourself? Was that in Limerick shortly after you came back from the J1? This <laughs> is another ridiculous story as well. So um, since I'd literally never played solo in my life, I didn't want it to be a case of where because naturally the first gig would be terrible. I knew that would be the case. So the last thing I wanted was that to be in front of my friends and then to have like a month-long gap for the next one where I'd play in front of my friends again and be terrible again. And then all of a sudden the whole town would just say, oh yeah, sure, that's the man who's absolutely useless. So what I did was I booked um, five it was five or six gigs over in mainland Europe. It was in uh, Czech Republic and Austria because I had a few friends in both of those countries that were able to hook me up with gigs. And I played about five or six gigs on the hop uh, in a row to basically just get those initial nerves and bad sets out of my system so when I come home to Limerick and actually play there I would have some bit of I don't know knowledge or some bit of, of means of not being terrible uh, so the first Anna's Anchor gig was actually in Brno in the Czech Republic believe it or not which is kind of mad to say but it was definitely a good way of doing things, and it was by far the most, um, the tour were the most craziest things I've happened so far. What, what are you allowed to tell me? <laughs> We'd be here, be here all day. It was, God, it was, it was around, what I will say was, it was around Christmas time, and I mean, Czech Republic is a bit of a mad country to begin with, and Austria isn't far off it either, and I was staying in the hostels most of the time and I would probably as as a seasoned hostel stayer at this point, I would say that hostels are like ninety percent kind of young tourists that are there to have fun and about ten percent completely crazy people that almost live there permanently in the host in the hostel. And uh this was only a few days before Christmas. So there weren't tourists, they were all gone home with their own families. So it was basically just me and the 10% of the absolutely crazy lunatics that live in the hostels almost every night. <laughs> and and so, like, when, when was the first Limerick gig then, so? Um, geez, I'm trying to think. Um, I think that the first Limerick gig might have been as, like, a, a special guest for an open mic in The Blind Pig. I do know the first Limerick headline show was in, in this place called Cobblestone Joe's and it was um, I released a split EP with a guy from the UK and uh, he came over to Ireland and we did um, four gigs in Ireland which I organised and booked and we did four gigs over in the UK which he organised and booked and we released the, the CD together and that was the first time I did a Limerick headline show so I suppose I, I did probably have a good 10 10 or more gigs under my belt before um, before I even played a headline gig in Limerick um, 
which was, yeah, I, looking back, it was a good way to do it. I'm definitely, I'm definitely glad it worked out that way. So you'd be recommending more bands do that? Like, forget about Ireland for your for the first few shows. <laughs> Just go to go to Eastern Europe where nobody knows you and uh, hone your craft. Maybe not necessarily Eastern Europe or maybe somewhere nobody knows you. Yeah, I, this is an interesting point to make as well. Um, that when I started at Azanka, any music scene goes through peaks and troughs. And at the time when I started, Limerick was very much at a trough. And it's funny now because at the moment there's kind of the Limerick scene is booming and there's a lot said about um, how great it is at the moment and we're definitely on the, the rise of a wave. But at the time when I started, it very much was a trough. So the idea of kind of like being big in your hometown and then having that spread out kind of regionally to the point where you're big nationally, that wasn't even a thought that entered my mind because the music scene wasn't wasn't developed enough at that point. So I kind of thought, well, look, I may as well just have fun with this and play wherever will have me. So that was kind of a large part of my thinking at the time. So that's, that's very much uh, a time and a place kind of a thing. And, and again, going back to Amazonka, just, well, for the most part, well, back when I started, it just being myself that if it is solo, you can go and do things like that. And it's not that much of a worry, but for a band of four or five people to go off and do that, it's much more difficult and a lot more expensive. Um, so I think it's more just a time and a place kind of thing. Uh, let's just talk about Limerick uh, for a moment. Like, do you think, like, was there one moment where you thought, like, oh, things are actually starting to pick up now, like, music scene wise there? Like, I mean, what happened, like, when it was at. How did it go from like its lowest peg to you know where it is now? Um, I think there's um, a few different reasons, and there have been a few kind of like key moments. Um, so I suppose I started putting on shows myself. Um, there are these acoustic shows called Tolman Sessions um, that was in a cafe, and we still have been doing them in a cafe around the town. And the reason I started that was because. I kind of figured, right, I have friends in bands from around the country and in other countries that would like to play Limerick. And there seems to be no place for younger bands to get their first gig um, because Dolan's is an amazing venue. It's so good. But it's not really the place for bands to have their first gig or a band that have a, doesn't have much of a following. So I figured, right, I have the gear to put on a show. I have the knowledge. So... I'll do this and basically volunteer my time to try and help younger bands start playing. And um, that that did really well. And um, I was doing that for about a year. And then on one of the days when I was putting up a poster for common sessions, I met Steve Savage, the drummer from Cruiser, because he works in this vintage store called Lucky Lane in Limerick. And he was just asking me all about it. And he'd heard about it. And he was like, oh, yeah, I played a band. You should come see our band play. And I was like, oh, cool. What what, what do you sound like? And he was like, oh, we're a punk band. And it actually caught me by surprise. So it was like a punk band in Limerick. And I don't know who you are. That's, that's very unusual. Uh, so then they happened to be playing a uh, show in Dolan um, like a couple of weeks later. And I called down to see him play. And, and it was great, and got to meet them, and um, we kind of instantly, it was very clear that musically, and 
personally, we just all had a similar mindset. And then they kind of introduced me to Cassavette. And kind of after hanging around for a little bit between those three bands, um, we said, look, um, you know, we kind of all want to do the same thing here. And I was kind of, the reason why I wasn't putting on noisy punk shows is because I hadn't found the punk and I didn't have the venue that would let the noise happen. And over that period, a load of new venues had opened up in Limerick. And Limerick was starting to boom, just the economy picking up, new new pubs opening up. Um, so we put on a show together around Christmas time in the gate bar. And um, between the three of us, we kind of came together that night and we're like, right, I think there's the ground for this to catch on and we all clearly want to make this happen and we want to volunteer our time and try and build the music team from here. Um, so we sort of just had to make a go of it and that was kind of the formation of DIY, I would say. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Were you at the... Were you at the Titus Andronicus show on Tuesday? That felt like a bit of a moment for uh, DIY LK. Uh, yeah, I was at the gig, and, and yeah, I do, I do think so because that was we we put on a lot of cool um, kind of local and national, let's say, kind of DIY bands. But that was our first time getting kind of a, a bigger name, let's say, that that would need more than just you know like. Or, a few quid off the door and, and a place to stay and you know someone that was coming with with a name but um obviously Titus Andronicus is and how always has been you know quite quite a DIY band and they've done it very successfully and um it's it was amazing and it was it was pretty great as well because uh Jer from Cruiser there like basically his favorite band and your man Patrick is his like hero so it was it was cool to see that it had in such a short space of time going to the point where someone could literally put on their all time favorite band on a rainy Tuesday night in the city and for it to be a complete set and work out you know, money wise and numbers wise. And yeah, that, that did feel like a landmark because if you're to try and do something like that, um, you know, five years ago and I have been a part of things that have happened like that five years ago and they've not gone well. So yeah, it, it definitely did feel like a landmark, yeah, for sure. And and coming back to Anna's anchor, then uh I I remember that you did like an islands tour a couple of years ago. I was on in Ishmore. The first time that I heard about uh this tour that you were doing, I was on in Ishmore and saw like the poster in the pub for the show that you were playing. I think it was like the next week that I wasn't there. Like that sounds like a really good idea. You were kind of going around to a couple of about 10 islands I think around Ireland and kind of writing a song uh, on every island and then kind of performing a gig at the end of it is that right? Yeah that was it so it was 8 weeks and over the 8 weeks I visited 8 different islands I played a show out on each island and then I wrote a song on each island and then I would come home each week from the island and every Tuesday record the song and then every Wednesday put the song up online so it was a song a week that was written from whatever kind of inspired me while I was out on the island. And I suppose the gigs themselves were both to, to cover the cost and a means of kind of uh, just, just meeting interesting people and getting a little bit involved with the, the community. And uh, yeah, it was, it was so much fun. It was a lot, an awful lot of work, but it was great. And I suppose I really just wanted to do something different because 
I was a little bit bored of just doing Limerick Cork Galway Dublin, you know, your typical EP thing. That idea at the time was was boring me a little bit, and I really just wanted to do something completely different and just just blow the doors off the hinges just for myself personally. And um, somehow that I that idea somehow came into my head, and it was that and everything more than I could have expected and. It kind of did give Anna's Anchor a little bit of a name for itself. I got some some mad press. It was on RT, RT1 or RT Radio 1 and the journal.ie and all these mad bits of press that kind of, for myself personally, it kind of legitimizes the whole thing that, you know, these big publications, you know, they, they deem this worthy of putting their name behind it. So, Maybe this is something I should probably take a, a bit more seriously, um, and it was just a really, so a really amazing time. I, I look back on that for the rest of my life just so fondly, and it was a monumentous task to even just get out to a different island every weekend. is is tough going, and like Inishmore, um, is one of the biggest ones and one of the more accessible ones. But you go to some of the smaller ones and there's one boat in and one boat out every day and you're throwing this big old PA system on top of, um, you know, into as good as a, a fishing boat and then getting a two-hour ferry out to this rock that's out in the middle of nowhere and playing to a handful of locals um, and then doing that for eight weeks straight is tough going. I was still, I was writing my master's thesis while I was doing it as well, so... It was a lot to take on, but I'm very glad I did. And it was just, yeah, just such a good time. Well, uh, what was your favorite island? What one would you recommend people uh, go visit? It's, it's, that's a funny question because that's what everyone had asked and, and still does ask. And um, I think I like different ones for different reasons. And even though all the islands are similar in, let's say, appearance and everything, they're all so so dramatically different and um, that's, that's what kind of lended, lent itself so well to writing the songs as well that each island was so different like if I was going out with you know your aunt and uncle from America that are over in Ireland for a week I probably would go to Inishmore because it has got some beautiful things to see and they cater for the tourists really well but if I was kind of going out for like a wild weekend with, with my friends and I went to school and stuff I'd probably go to Cape Clear if I was looking for a weekend away where I wouldn't meet one other person and to just get a, a bit of a break. I'd probably go to Inish Turk. So they're all different, but if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Inish Turk because that is the one that's that I visited that's most furthest removed from the life that we live here on the mainland. Um, it was it's the one that's furthest off the mainland. It doesn't have a pub. Doesn't have a restaurant, just a handful of B and Bs, and they're just people's houses. Um, you know, no guards, nothing. It's it's just such a different world to what we have here, and you kind of have to pinch yourself at times to realize like this is still Ireland, and this is their everyday life, and that they've lived for generations, but it's just so different to the rest of the country. And I honestly, unfortunately, think that. You know, some of those communities may not be around for that much longer because the population, the, the numbers are dwindling and, and the younger generations are moving off. 
So the kind of opportunity to to experience those communities um, time-wise, it's the the clock is ticking really, and that's another big reason why I did it. I was like, right, this is this is probably my only chance to ever do this, so I'm just going to go away and do it. Yeah, you haven't thought about uh, doing it again uh, anytime soon. Um, that's it's too much of an undertaking. Well. I I'm not a big fan of repeating myself, um, but I would like to do something like that again. Um, previously, I'd just been working so much that the that it never would have been a, an option. But I'm after changing job recently that has freed up a lot more time, so. I very well might do something in a similar vein in the future. Um, probably not the islands because, again, I've, I've already done it. It's been done. So I want to do something different. And um, once we kind of finish promoting this album, that's when I kind of sit down and, and think, like, right, do I want to do something uh, a little bit off the cuff again? And is the opportunity there to do it? If it is, I definitely will. There's no reason why not, because life is too short, really. Uh, it's It sounds like you love touring and you're also like so big into the writing and writing in different spaces and almost kind of challenging yourself. Is there a preference for either one or are they both like of the same beast under like making music? Uh, I Yeah, that's a fun, that's, that's an interesting one. Uh, I do definitely love both and traveling does definitely inspire songs um i've never written a song about touring or touring life to me that's kind of a boring and a tall story but you do meet the craziest of people and you get put in situations that you wouldn't ever be put in if you just visited the city as a tourist so i do love touring for that aspect um if i was to pick one i honestly you know if it was to just write songs and and record them all day every day for the rest of my life i would be very happy with that and the fun thing about recording with Anna's Anchor is I have this idea in the back of my head of what a song might sound like fleshed out but it's not like it's ever practiced in a rehearsal space with four or five people or that we've gotten to gig it before we head into recording so really the recording process for me is just kind of extracting this obscure idea that's in the back of my head and I get to kind of see it be built and at the end of it, it's, it's created and it's this thing that how I thought it might sound is, is finally there and it's been made. And that is definitely the most rewarding part of being in this band anyway, for sure. That's great. Um, I, I guess coming back to like the new album, uh, in just so everybody knows, like in the meantime, between uh, the Islands uh, tour, like you released that kind of as an eight track EP of all of the tracks that was released back in like 2015. And then Nautical Miles, your debut album came out in 2016. And so you've just released the new album, Everybody's Welcome. Does it feel like just like a really good culmination of what you've done to date? Yeah, I think so. I think it's kind of everything that I've learned up until now and then some. So I think I've really been just trying to figure things out and everything up until this point really has been my first time doing everything. And now I'm kind of like, okay, that's how that's been. And even just between writing and recording the second album, it's been significantly less stressful. Um just a way more fun and enjoyable process because I suppose I knew what to expect 
and I suppose I I kind of knew where I could probably challenge myself a little bit more this time round. Um, so uh, it's definitely been kind of like just easing into it in terms of um, just kind of my mindset. Like, okay, I, I've been doing this long enough now to kind of appreciate what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses and kind of make a decision as to whether I want to focus on my strengths or my weaknesses and just try and develop that. And that basically is what the second album is. It is definitely a, a development from the first album. And I do think it sounds an awful lot different, but the reason it does sound an awful lot different is because looking back, I can kind of realize um, what I wanted to do differently. I didn't really know what I wanted to do differently first time around because it was my first time doing it. Whereas now you can kind of look back and have that kind of the, the luxury of, of hindsight, I suppose. And I was reading uh, track by track that I think you just put up for uh, Punktastic, that website, uh, yeah. where you said you had a list of about 15 subject matters that you wanted to write about. That's interesting. Like, what, like how did you, when does that come in the recording process? Is, is that at the start where you're like thinking about what you want to write about that? Oh, yeah, I have like these 15 subjects, like almost on a whiteboard or something. I'm going to write <laughs> like all these songs about this or do they come as you're writing the songs? Do you know? Uh, this is probably the most uh, boring and uncool uh, like band-related thing to do with me, but I am a very methodical planner and thinker, and um, I have been working as a project manager up until recently, so I approach everything extremely structured. And um, when I kind of realized, okay, this is kind of this is the window that I have to write the album. I started off with literally planning it out. And like you said, I, I did write down, I'm kind of from the approach of what do I want to write the next album about? What topics do I want to have covered within it? So before I had written a single song, I had a list of 15 or 20 things that I wanted to make sure I had said within the album. And then I sat down and started writing the music. Um, and then kind of marrying the ideas of, okay, this song kind of sounds a little bit like this emotion that I wanted to talk about over here on this list. Okay, so I'll put that with that one, and then I'll start developing it. And that's pretty much how I wrote the album. Um, I did write a large portion of the album over um, Christmas um, in 2016-17, I'd say, into the new year. So not much, I hadn't been out that long, but uh, I I had a bit of time during that Christmas, so I kind of approached that window of trying to write as much of the songs as I could in that window. So again, with my really weird, structured and boring mindset, I did lay it out kind of like a project almost. Um, so yeah, it, it's a bit of a weird one, but I think it definitely lends itself towards cohesion. Um, so... I don't think a, an Anna Zanker album will ever be a case of, okay, we've played together for the last three years and we've written these 10 songs, that's our album. I'm always going to approach it of, this is a piece of work that I want to be really cohesive and these are the things I wanted to say and do and kind of build from there, really. And that's how I've approached both albums. 
And I mean, lyrically, we don't have to get into it. I think that you've kind of covered that a lot um, elsewhere, kind of in the press, in the press you've been doing about the album. People can find what you talk about uh, quite easily if they just search for it. But um, it does sound like it's quite heavy lyrically. Like, was there ever any thoughts about shying away from anything where you're like, I've got to tackle some of these themes like head on? Yeah, it's it's tough. Like it is really hard, and they are extremely personal songs, and they are for the most part documenting the the hardest things that I've kind of gone through in life. Um, the the last kind of six or seven years, family wise, for me have been um, very strange, and I suppose the come back to writing it over that Christmas period like I was completely alone for that Christmas period um, so it was kind of it, it's very much a coping mechanism in certain sense because if I didn't have something to do during like this this period where families are all together and happy um, I'd be probably in an, an even worse place than I already was in um, so it's kind of, it's it's a, a double-sided sword, if you will, because on one hand, you are kind of getting the stuff off your chest and getting it out there. But at the same time, you are really letting a lot of, a, a lot of people and a lot of strangers into your own kind of deepest and darkest thoughts, if you will, um, which is, it is really difficult and I'm, I still struggle with it, but um, I don't know, you really just reach a point where you're just like, screw it, I, I don't care. I I need to speak as accurately and concisely as possible. Like, I need to get this stuff off my chest. It can't remain within me. And this has kind of been the, the only way I've figured out so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, man, the album sounds great. Uh, it's out now. It's called Everybody's Welcome. Uh, like, congratulations on it and I mean now you're getting back into the whole tours uh, touring thing you're in uh, Clonakilty Guitar Festival on the on September 21st and 22nd I think and then you're doing Belfast Dublin Limerick and then heading back out to Europe yeah that's it so it's kind of broken up into three stints in the sense of we're going to be doing the full band thing in Ireland um, at the end of September and then going to be heading over to mainland Europe for about two and a half weeks in October, and then going to the UK in November. Uh, so really, I just want to get as many people to hear it as possible because I do think it's—I do think it sounds good. If it's not too uh, big-headed to say that, and, and I want people to hear it, and I want to get out there and make sure that they kind of fall in love with it. And and doing that through touring is kind of the only way I know how. So. I'm going to be doing that a lot over the next few months and hopefully a lot over the next kind of year or two. That's kind of the, the, the plan, really. Cool. Uh, I think that that's everything. I think uh, we've gone a little bit longer than uh, I said that we go, so uh, I guess we'll leave it there, man. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for all the support on...